from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I'm standing here with two fine, upstanding Christian young people, brother and sister, believe it or not, twins. Twins. We have Adam and we have Amanda. They're both from Roy. They're both going into eighth grade. They have common interests. And it's great to have them on the show. Now, Adam loves P.E., and Amanda loves math. And they both have something they would like to say to the live listening audience. Adam, you're up. Hi, Mom. Wasn't that enthusiastic on Adam's part? And Amanda. Hi, family. Very original on Amanda's part. So we're glad to have Christian youth like you. You guys keep going, all right? Thanks for being on the show. Every Sunday, Aletheia Ministries provides the community at large here in Salt Lake with a few fountains of information. First of all, from 1 to 2 in the afternoon, AM820, The Truth. AM820, The Truth, we plays uh, uh, episodes of Heart of the Matter, so you can listen to that. And then on your drive uh, into the University of Utah, as you're listening to that radio program, we hold a weekly, verse-by-verse, -verse, God willing, study of the New uh, Testament. Right now, we're in Acts. That's from 2.30 to 3.30 every Sunday. 1, 1 to 2, radio, AM820. 2.30 to 3.30, University of Utah, Bible study. And then from right after that, um, You're Not Alone. It's a group of people who've come out of Mormonism, get together right there in the same room as the Bible study. And uh, they talk about what it means to come out of Mormonism and into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's led by uh, Earl and his wife Carla, who uh, longtime uh, faithful members of the LDS Church who came to uh, know his truth. Join them, join us. Get off your couches, get informed. You can go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information. We had a great time speaking at uh, the Calvary Chapel Salt Lake City sponsored event last Wednesday night at Wheeler Farm. There was a lot of people there enjoying the get together. These guys at Calvary Chapel Salt Lake City, they provide every the first Wednesday of every month there at Wheeler Farm. Right at, was it six o'clock, Derek? Right at six o'clock. They provide food. They had a barbecue there for everybody. I mean, there were six, seven hundred people there. Uh, a barbecue. They um, they do worship music, and then I had the opportunity to speak about the misdirection of the church relative to politics and other things. Afterward, our hats are off to Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, and the wonderful monthly summer event they hold for any and all who wish to attend. Uh, for more information, you can go to www.calvarysLC.org to find out about another event that they might do like it. 
If you're looking for someone to share your heart about being Mormon, leaving Mormonism, or knowing Jesus Christ, email us and we'll try to put you in contact with one of our representatives out there in the, the U.S. or in the world even. Uh, here's the email, Sean at Aletheia Media. Just write us and say, hey, I live in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Do you have a representative there? And we'll say, we have one who lives in this city. Here's their email, and we'll put you in contact with them. If you want to be a representative out there, please let us know. Email us at the same place, and we'll put you in contact. Recently, Lehi emailed us, a man named Lehi, with some exciting, mind-cementing tools for sale at Deseret Book. Deseret Book not only sells this mind-cementing tool, it actually uh, is the producer of it, and so uh, we want you to take a look at a, a short commercial that they have. This is for real, folks. Take a look at this. The Testimony Glove will help every child learn their testimony. The beauty of the glove is it is so simple. It's so direct. I've seen children in Africa within a few minutes be able to bear their testimony. I've seen the women in Africa who didn't know how to read use this as a tool to teach their children what a testimony was. You can use the spirit and you can teach your children very simple truths that will last for a lifetime. This glove has great power to change lives. It teaches the five course principles of what the Church of Jesus Christ believes. Long after the glove is gone, the children will remember the five eternal concepts. This book prepares children for baptism, and when they're eight years old, they'll be interviewed by a bishop asking them the five things on this glove. The Testimony Glove helps children understand these principles and cements them in their minds for life. to influence you greatly. There are five points that you need to understand about testimony in the Mormon church. Number one, God the Father has a body of flesh and bone. Number two, that Jesus Christ did come. They do agree with that. Number three, which is the center middle finger, Joseph Smith is a true prophet. You must have a testimony of that to be acceptable by God. And next we have, you must go to the temple and do what the temple says. Believe, believe, believe. And then lastly, that there's a living prophet named Thomas Monson. You must accept him and believe him and follow him. If you do these things, you will go to heaven. Go to heaven. Go to heaven. Okay, so there is your testimony glove. It also serves as a fine back scratcher for those intimate moments. Now, uh, just to let you know, a testimony in the Christian church doesn't include this one, or this one, or this one, or this one. It just says Jesus. Jesus. Can you imagine? They said in that commercial that this thing has the power. This thing has the power to help a, a child. This is mind-numbing. This is 
this is twisting a child's brain from the onset. Can you imagine that, that they're out, a man is taught with this thing, and then he has a crisis of faith, and he learns the facts about Mormonism when he's 30, and he's out in, in the field praying to God, and he says, help me! And then he looks at his hand, and there he has the reminder, and he goes running back to the, to the, to the church that taught him this junk. Well, you know, we have something, too, that's akin to the testimony glove. We're going to show you right now. And we have the very stylish fanny pack of faith. Yes, fanny pack of facts, actually. Yes, look it. It's factual. You reach into it, and there's a fact that you can check and see. Do I believe this? And then you look at it, and then you put faith in that fact. It's about facts. The fanny pack of faith, ladies and gentlemen. We're so grateful for it. We're trying here. We're really trying. How about a moment from the word? All right, last week we read the introduction to the story in Matthew 19 about the rich young ruler who uh, called Jesus. He came to him and said, hey, good master. Let's go back and read the whole story and discuss how it relates to the LDS position compared to the Christian. In Matthew 9, 16, it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But, Jesus continues to say, If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, at this point, most LDS will say, See, See, you have to obey and keep the commandments if you want to go to heaven. To this, I would say that the perspective is both totally true and completely false. It is true in the sense that all who will inherit eternal life must keep the commandments that Jesus gave and that are required for Christians to keep. Uh, I believe, and that is to believe in Jesus Christ and to love. Those are the new Christian, a new commandment I gave you. Those are the commandments. 1 John 3, 22, 23 supports this where it reads, take a look. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Okay, so where the LDS say you have to keep the commandments, the Christians say, yes, we do believe in keeping the commandments. But what are the commandments? The commandments are you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's by that faith you are saved. And then because you have been saved, you love your neighbor as yourself and you love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Those are the, the, the two Christian commandments. But the LDS, if you ask them, what are the commandments? They say, oh, you got to pay your tithe and you got to obey the Sabbath day. You got to follow the prophet. You got to do the five points of the finger man. I mean, they say all these things that you have to do. And the LDS perspective is completely false because of the way they interpret what keeping the commandments is. This was the exact thing that the rich young ruler thought. So the rich young ruler says to Jesus, verse 18, which, as in which commandments? And Jesus replies, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice here that he only mentions six of the Ten Commandments. He just gives him a smattering right there. If he was, if he was really to save himself by obeying the, all those commandments, he would list all of them with exactness. 
Here the LDS again would say, see, Jesus says we got to obey all these commandments. To which the Christian would reply, listen, obedience to God is always good in every way, but it is not possible and all will fail who attempt to do it. Jesus knew this, and so he takes the rich young ruler down a path to show him that in spite of all that he has done and accomplished, he is still lacking. That's the point of this story. Verse 20. So the young man said unto Jesus, all these things I have kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Notice that the rich young ruler has based all of the qualifications for eternal life on himself. He, uh, uh, all these things I have kept, he says. So uh, he asks, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And after Jesus lists six of the Ten Commandments, the man replies saying, all these things have I kept from my youth, yet what do I lack? You know, it's all about him. This is where Jesus taps into the heart of the matter, as it were, with the man, which is what we try to do here in the show to tap into the heart of the matter with the LDS. And that is no matter how many commandments you keep, no matter how good of a life you think you've lived, if you fail in one of them in any way, you are destined for hell. If you believe that you are getting there on your own righteousness because you have done right, and you break one, you're destined for hell. This is what Jesus was trying to implement into the rich young ruler. Listen to James 2.10. I think we have it. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Okay? What that says is you obey every commandment that you can imagine. The, the 10 and the 316 that the Jews believed. Every commandment you can imagine. But you break one. You don't obey your mother and father. You don't honor your father and mother on one given day of your life. You are guilty of adultery, murder. Every of the 10 commandments plus the 316 combined. Okay? The rich young ruler could have uh, lived a perfectly, an entire perfect life and broke one commandment. And to get there on his own righteousness was not going to happen. Listen, Jesus said to him, verse 21, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all you have and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and, and come and follow me. Notice that the qualification was not for the rich young ruler to only sell all that he had. That was something Jesus knew he wasn't going to do. Uh, but it was also to come and follow the Lord. See, the Jews under the law when they were approached by Christ, he said, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, you need to do that, because you're under the law. But to the Gentiles, the, Paul, when he taught the Gentiles, all he said is, you need to believe. That's what you need to do is believe. Context is everything, folks. What was the result? The result was exactly what Jesus knew it would be, verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Next week, we'll try to complete the study of this story where it will be clearly proven that uh, the Lord's message to him is that human beings without God, it's impossible to reach him. Your support for Aletheia Ministries is vital. Please prayerfully consider the following.
And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We need you uh, to save us and to keep us in love and to keep us uh, reaching out to others in love with your truth. We pray for our audiences, whether here or out there in TV land, on YouTube. We pray for our volunteers, support staff, those who are seeking for truth, Lord. Let me say what you want. The things that I say and mess up on that aren't right, that I mix my facts up, God, you, uh, you fix it. Let those evaporate, but let the truth come forward to those who are seeking it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week we started shoveling the manure that Joseph Smith used to fertilize the seed for the Book of Mormonian, which was the personal and family magic practices uh, uh, that his family uh, participated in. We proved last week beyond a shadow of a doubt that the founder of the LDS faith was arrested and convicted by, for glass-looking by an official United States court of law with glass-looking being the act of pretending to look into a rock and to visualize things that were beneath the earth, buried treasure, caves, etc. We also noted at the time that Joseph Smith was convicted, he had supposedly already had his first vision and he had already been in communication with this angel Moroni or angel Nephi, depending on which uh, version you read, telling him where more gold plates were buried near his parents' house. Why glass looking and magic and witchcraft? Where did these things come from in Joseph Smith's family? Well, soon after moving to the township of Manchester in 1820, Joseph Smith's dad, his eldest brother El, uh, Alvin, and soon-to-be prophet developed a penchant for treasure seeking. The, they had been doing it in their family history for a while, but it really got popular with their family after this move to Manchester. The two Joseph Smiths, uh, senior and junior, claimed to have the ability to locate treasure by virtue of divination and clairvoyance. Now think about that. He, they are going around the community and they're convincing people that by virtue of divination and clairvoyance, they can tell them where secret buried treasure is. The same claims came out from Joseph Smith when he brought forth being a prophet. Divination, clairvoyance, and an ability to do these things. Present day Mormonism often portrays Joseph Smith as possibly once in his youth participating in some youthful activities of treasure seeking. But this is not an accurate depiction in the least with a father and a mother who were steeped in magic and conjuring, spiritism, and even conning other people, Joseph Smith Jr. was very involved in a number of mystical and magical practices throughout his life, not just when he was a teenager. In, let's talk about a story from his father's treasure-seeking days. In 1822, a man named Peter Ingersoll, uh, whose land bordered the Smith's property to the north, he was asked by Joseph Smith's father to join him on a treasure hunt. And supposedly they walked toward the Smith's cabin and Joseph, where Joseph Smith Sr. believed that treasure was buried. The prophet's father took a pocket knife out and he cut a branch into a fork and he handed it to Pinger, uh, P Peter Ingersoll and he said, repeat this, work to the money, work to the money, okay? And apparently Ingersoll did not possess the gift for the rod to move. At that point, uh, Joseph Smith's father began to dance about and contort his body to get the stick to move in Ingersoll's hands. Uh, 
These actions didn't convince Ingersoll of anything, and he reportedly quit the search at this time, which caused uh, Joseph's father to say, I seen the stick move. I seen it move in your hands. Moments later, when Ingersoll picked up a stone and threw it at some birds, Joseph Smith's father said to him, that was a magic seer stone. You can see with that thing. Uh, said Smith, if, uh, Joseph Smith's father said, according to Ingersoll, if you only knew the value that there is at the back of my house, end quote. And then he suddenly pointed to an area and he said, there, there, there is one chest of gold and there's another chest of silver. This is from the most influential male in Joseph Smith's life. These were his father's activities. Ingersoll said Joseph Smith Sr. then took the stone from him, placed it in his hat, and bent over toward the earth and walked about like a pigeon. Suddenly Joseph's father pulled his face out of the hat. He looked exhausted, like, <gasps> and he said, quote, if you had seen what I had seen, you would believe, end quote. Could this man have influenced Joseph Smith Jr. and his claims toward God, toward angels, toward buried golden plates? Think, my friends. Think. Have you been conned? And does the con continue to perpetuate in your life? Believing in what others claim to see is very important to treasure seekers. It's also very important to the testimony that we were talking about in Mormonism even to this day. Every time someone stands up in the Mormon church and bears their testimony of those five things, um, they are bearing testimony to something that is not seen. They are doing the very same thing Joseph did all the way back when he was peering into a hat, looking at a rock and claiming to see either buried treasure or golden plates. It's the very same thing when testimony is born. In 1822, the Smiths had another set of neighbors nearby who were really into uh, magic. Their names were the Chase family. And uh, they had a daughter named Sally who supposedly had a gift of being able to locate buried treasure in their neighborhood. The Chase and the Smiths family got together often and went about these searches. Joseph was intrigued with Sally Chase's seer stone and he asked her, hey, will you find treasure for me? Soon this intrigue with Sally turned into imitation and Joseph asked if he could look into her stone. And one day uh, he did and he outconned the con. Uh, he told her by looking to, into the stone that he could see uh, somewhere in western New York near Lake Erie, quote, under the roots of a tree or a shrub as long as his arm was a magical seer stone that needed to be found. He said, quote, that the stone became luminous and dazzled his eyes. And after a short time, it became as intense as the noonday sun, end quote. Those of you familiar with Mormonism will recognize the idea of stones becoming luminous and bright in a theme also found in the Book of Mormon. Let me explain it to you. Years later, when the Book of Mormon is produced, towards the end of the book, there's a story. It's about a man named the brother of Jared. The brother of Jared is commanded by God to build barges. So he constructs the frame of these barges and he covers them with skins that kind of look like a football. In the bottom of the hollow barge is a kind of a cork and in the top of it is a cork. And, and the brother of Jared and the Jaredites were all supposed to climb into these barges which would act like submarines in the old country, cross the Atlantic uh, Ocean 
and then wind up in the Americas by virtue of this mode of transportation. This is the story in the Book of Mormon. I'm not kidding you. And so they get into the sea, people inside these, these barges, they go under the waves, but when, when the brother of Jared looks inside the barge before they go into the ocean, he says, they're dark inside. What are we going to do? And so he asks God to reach his finger down and touch some stones and make them bright and illuminated. And this is from the Book of Mormon itself, Ether, chapter 6, verse 2 through 3. After God touches the stones, it says, For it came to pass, after the Lord had prepared the stones, which the brother of Jared had carried up to the mount, the brother of Jared came down from the mount, and he did put forth the stones and the vessels which were prepared, one in each in thereof. And behold, they did give, they did give light unto the vessels, and thus the Lord caused stones to shine in darkness, to give light unto men, women, and children, that they might not cross the great waters in darkness. Then the barges, like I said, acting as primitive submarines, I'm not kidding, made their way all the way to the Americas under storm-tossed seas. Somewhere in the fall of 1822, Joseph and Alvin were hired by Willard Chase, that's Sally Chase's brother, to dig a well. In the well hole, Willard found a unique stone that was, quote, shaped like a baby's shoe, was about the size of a hen's egg, and was dark brown, end quote. Willard recalled as they examined it, quote, Joseph put it into his hat and then his face into the top of his hat. Chase did not report what Joseph Smith saw, but said that Joseph Smith offered to take it from him. Chase declined, but agreed he would loan it to him. And over the next two years, Joseph Smith built a large reputation as a money digger using this very important baby shoe size brown chocolate brown rock. Remember and be very clear on this. Uh, the Book of Mormon, which we're going to cover how he translated it, was not, was not translated the way the pictures in the Mormon library show. The, the gold plates there, someone sitting over there not able to really see him, a, kind of a curtain up with Joseph with a pen uh, translating these plates as he flips through them. The Book of Mormon was translated by Joseph placing a rock in a hat even when the plates weren't in the room and translating by looking into that hat and dictating to somebody who recorded what he said. All right? Many LDS people uh, do not like to hear what I'm saying. They say that I'm a liar. They call me the con man. Um, they, uh, they say I'm an anti-Mormon. So I am going to reference this book. Derek, can you close it? And on that, you can see it. This book is called uh, early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview. It is written by an author. When he wrote it, he was LDS. He was a church historian by the name of D. Michael Quinn. You can see how thick this book is. It is well-researched. It gives you plenty of facts about the early magic practices of Joseph Smith as he concocted this church. I'm going to quote you the page number and tells you what, tell you what Quinn says throughout, and then we'll go to the phones. On page 240, Quinn says that not only were Joseph's parents, family, and friends involved in these schemes, but Joseph Smith, founding prophet and president of the new church, had unquestionably participated in treasure-seeking and stone divination. Evidence indicates that he also used div divining rods, a talisman, and implements in ritual magic. Additionally, Quinn says that two-thirds of Mormonism's first apostles had an affinity for folk magic practices. Apostles? 
Could you imagine Peter, James, and John carrying around magic amulets and divining rods and stuff to try to invoke spirits to tell them truths? On page 54, Quinn establish, uh, says that Joseph Smith used the divining rod and stone to find buried treasure as late as the fall of 1825. On page 169-173, Joseph's wife Emma and Martin Harris both witness and testify to the fact that Joseph would place a seer stone in a hat, bury his face so as to exclude the light so he could see as a clairvoyant. They use that term to describe Joseph Smith. He was a clairvoyant. On page 56, as we pointed out last week, Smith was arrested in the 1820s of being a glass looker, pretending to discover lost goods, hidden treasures, mines of gold and silver. He was found guilty. On page 68, Joseph's mother, Lucy Max Smith, did not deny that her family participated in occult activities. She simply affirmed that these did not prevent the family from accomplishing other work too. In 1834, one of the very first, if not the first, anti-Mormon book came out by a guy named Eber D. Howe, and it was called Mormonism Unveiled. And in that, there are numerous testimonies from people who lived in and around the Smith family. Now, we really don't know how many of those testimonies were true, but we do know, uh, what we do know is that Joseph Smith and his family, after that book came out, they strongly denied allegations that were against them but they did not deny the allegations against their practicing magic and the occult and wizardry. Okay? On page 70 and uh, 101 and 332, Quinn points out that Smith was into drawing magic circles. He would take a, a sword which he owned and he would carve magic circles which would supposedly protect an area from evil spirits stealing away the treasure in uh, Vault. Supposedly, we'll get to this, when he actually goes to get the plates, he used the same sword to draw it around where the golden plates were buried. On the subjects of primary sources, that means where did Joseph Smith get his information about swords and amulets and talisman and all this stuff? Uh, Mormon apologists say he was, a, he was a hayseed without any intellect or intelligence. He was used by God as he was just a hollow shell that God filled with the spirit. But Joseph Smith had access to many, many books there in the libraries near his home. And in fact, when he sold his books, 75% of them, later on in his life, he sold them before he died, 75% of those books dealing with magic came from the local area of Manchester where he grew up. He cut his teeth on this stuff. All right. And uh, finally, there are many other uh, things that talk about uh, their magic practices. Uh, Quinn points out that the practice of, which is revealed in the Doctrine and Covenants as a revelation from God of trying to shake hands with the spirit to see if it's a devil or a resurrected being comes straight from a book called Transcendental Magic from 1856. It was popular to say, listen, if a spirit confronts you, try to shake its hand. If you can't feel it, and the spirit tries to shake your hand, it's the devil trying to con you. Joseph said a revelation from God in Doctrine and Covenants told him this is how you discern between the two. And finally, three degrees of glory was tied to this stuff and so were many aspects of masonry. My friends, Joseph Smith, well before the Book of Mormon came forth, was heavily involved in magic, the occult, talismans, uh, divining rods, uh, magic swords for drawing circles, and even bloodletting of animals, if my facts are not right. 
We're going to continue to let you know how those come forward as he's getting prepared to now supposedly translate this book called the Book of Mormon. We're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. While we're waiting for operators to clear your calls, a couple things, which still continue to blow my mind. Uh, while I was at the park speaking the other day, a couple came up and he gave me this letter. This I am reading directly from a letter from headline, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Sandy, Utah Granite Stake. Decisions of the High Council Court for a Brother B. I'm not going to say his name. It's signed by William S. Bush, stake president. Okay, it says, Upon the trial of your membership, the High Court Council convened on this date, at this time, and upon proper deliberation, it was the decision of the court that you be effectively excommunicated from the church. Excommunication is complete severance from the church. As long as you are out of the church, you are denied all privileges of membership, including the wearing of the temple garment. Tithing and other contributions are not to be accepted from persons who have been excommunicated. Consequently, you are encouraged to deposit such funds until the time of your possible uh, rebaptism or pay such contributions in the name of your spouse uh, or other family members in good standing. As in the case with all non-members, you may attend sacrament meetings, auxiliary meetings, and general conference sessions. The restrictions and limitations on your association with the saints are more fully set forth on the sheet attached here too. The last paragraph. You are not entitled to the constant inspiration and companionship of the Holy Ghost. Depending on your faithfulness, you may be entitled to his periodic manifestations, as is any non-member. You are entitled to the light of Christ which abides with every man who is born into mortality. That entitlement is also conditioned upon righteous living and a sincere desire to regain your membership. You are to be commended, it ends with, for your cordial manner in which you have responded to all communications. Sincerely, William Bush. Unbelievable what they do to people in this state. It's unbelievable how they have you by the feet and they squeeze and they make you think that your relationship with God is predicated on your, on your membership in that, in that ivory tower, in that granite of deception. This is a lie, my friends. You can have a direct, personal, intimate, uh, uh, soteriologically sound relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ based on your faith, not on your righteousness. And he will inspire you to overcome the sins that have so easily beset you in, in, in a life gone by. Don't believe these people and the, and the absolute bondage they put you in. Okay, we have uh, calls. Nancy from Salt Lake City, first time caller. Line one, she's on the air. Nancy, you're on the air. Hey, Sean. Hi. Hey, I am LDS. I'm an LDS woman, uh, 50 years in the church. Yeah. And I have, I've watched your program a lot because I love to hear, I love to hear your point of view and know um, what people in the Salt Lake community feel about the church that are not LDS. And I have always been taught, always through my home church, that Jesus is my personal savior. 
He is in the Mormon church. Jesus is a savior, personal. My personal savior, yeah. and that only through him can I be saved and return to his presence. I, I, I know the LDS. There's no I, wait, other person that I can be saved through. No, okay. per, no prophet, past or present, can okay. save me. me. Only, only my relationship with Christ. Okay, I got that. Now let me respond to that. First, Bruce McConkie said, Marriott Center, BYU, 1982, I was there. Mm -hmm. No member is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a quote. Second. He wasn't a prophet. I don't care what he says. He was a prophet. But I believe. He was a prophet. He's a prophet. Apostles are prophets, seers, and revelators. He, he was, was a, prophet. a prophet. He was an apostle. No, the prophet, seer, and revelator, all of them raised to the hand at conference. If they're, if they're apostles, they are raised to the hand. Prophets. That is not what we are taught in our... You don't know your doctrine, dear. I'm telling you. Christians are Christians, okay, I'm and we worship okay, Christ. Okay, no, no, don't go to that. Don't go to that. Let's go through what you said. No, let's Christ. go through what you said. Let me ask you something. You say that you have been taught your whole life a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What does it mean that he saves you, Nancy? What does that mean to you that he saves you? He saves me through the grace and the miracle of his atonement when he died on the cross for me. Okay. What does that mean that he, he suffered, saved you? He suffered for my sins. I agree. I know you believe that. Did What does that mean that he saves you, Nancy? Well, he provides a way for me to return to his presence. What, what is the way? Him, what is the way? I unclean to what, return to his presence. What is the way, Nancy? Adam, and because of my own personal sins, which all of us on this earth Nancy, are going to sin what in is one the, way or another. What is the way he provides for you to return to Heavenly Father? He, that's the miracle of the atonement. He okay. provides the way for me He provides to, the way. So then what do you need to do once he's provided the way? What do I need to do? I need to pray to him. I need to ask. Wait a minute. Did you say pray to Jesus? Yes. Okay, you don't pray to Jesus unequivocally in the Mormon church. You pray to Heavenly Father only. Jesus is never prayed to. Second thing, what else do you do? Well, I pray, I believe that I pray to Heavenly Father and to Christ. Okay, what you believe doesn't matter. It's what your church teaches. Oh, no, what, what I believe does matter. No, and no, it doesn't matter when we're talking about Mormonism. My personal relationship with Christ. Okay, is we are talking about Mormonism. That you is what is taught to me wait, wait, in you, my meetings, okay, in listen, my family, all right, and in all my right, church. Fine, 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 fine. Let's stay on Christians. it. Let's stay on it. Wait, don't, let, let's stay we on it. We believe in the, in the Jesus let's, Christ. Let's stay on it. Nancy. Follow him. Nancy. You like him. He said to come follow him. Nancy, I know what he said. Then Just we stay follow with him, me, Nancy. And we learn of him through the New Testament. Okay, Nancy. And Nancy, we love him. Nancy, I understand all your proclamations, but when I question you on them, you don't give me good answers. All your proclamations are, are guised in something different. Just tell me, after you accept Christ like you say you have, what does it mean in terms of your salvation? Do you need to do anything now to be saved, Nancy? I need to follow him. Okay, what does that mean? That means that I have, that I, if I accept him into my life, okay. then that means that I, that I will try to learn of him and that I will follow him. Okay, what does that mean? Be like him, because that's what he asked Okay, I understand. What does it him. mean to follow him? Tell me in Mormon nomenclature what it means to have to follow him, please. Share with the audience. To love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, and how do you do that in, in actual terms? How do you do that, Nancy? What does the church by tell you you must love do? love and acceptance to people by, by um, loving this, the, 
the sinner and not the sin. Okay, Nancy, do you have to be baptized? Well, you baptized too. You, you believe not that to be you, saved, you, Nancy. You were baptized Nancy, Nancy I, we're not talking about we me. I asked you a simple to, question: Do you need to be baptized? You do. Do you, you do? Do you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands by a priesthood person holding the LDS priesthood? That's one of the things that our church Do you does have to it. go to the temple? What about the temple? Do you have to go to the temple to go and live with Heavenly Father again? No. Really? No. Really? Yes. Okay. Do you, ha you don't have to be married in the new and everlasting covenant, be sealed to go and receive the highest degree of celestial kingdom, which is the Christian version of salvation. I have an aunt that's 85 years old. I don't old. care about your aunt. I want to know what the teaching is. To go to heaven. I know it for a fact. You don't know anything. Tell me what the teaching is, Nancy. Do you, are you lying to yeah. me? Are you afraid to say you do your t church they teaches? They teach that. We talked about it last week in Sunday school. Okay, I, that's fine. You do teach it then, right? Yeah, so women who are not married, men who are not married, have every opportunity and have just as much of a... Of a, of a place in heaven with Christ that's not, as any of us. That's not true. That's Our not doctrine. relationship with Christ and how we follow This him is what you have to do. Deseret book will, printed the gloves. To be with him. This is what you have to do, Nancy. You're not covering any of it. Jesus is only one finger on this hand of five. He represents one-fifth of your salvation. Actually, you have to have a belief that there was a restoration of the church. That's down here on this one. You have to believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Because why? He is going to stand at the portals and receive you into the celestial kingdom, or he's not. He is the judge of this dispensation, according to your doctrine, Who's Nancy. He's going to receive me into the into oh, You the have to kingdom. go through Joseph Smith Never to get there. I don't know it doesn't matter what you are taught. It's doctrine, and it's what is taught. No, it See, isn't. What, what, what do you mean, no, it isn't? It we isn't. have quotes. Every class I've gone to, we have quotes. Nobody's ever taught me that. Well, no one's ever taught you. Maybe half the time you're sleeping. No, I. They taught I me that. Classes, no, how did they teach? How did they teach very, me and not you? I am very. How come very I was taught and you weren't? How come I was no, taught, Nancy, and no you weren't? Place it teaches us stuff. Nancy, how come I was taught and you weren't? Why did I learn that and you didn't? How come we have quotes that attest to that and you say that they're not true? Let's go on. The temple, right here. Mm. Right here, Nancy. You got to go through. You got to receive your endowment, Nancy, to be able to go past the angels who want you to give the signs and everything so you can enter into heaven. Jesus alone, Nancy. Jesus alone. No, I'm sorry. And then we have the modern day prophet. You have to follow him. And what does he tell you to do? He says, you got to pay your tithing, Nancy. You got to obey the Sabbath day, Nancy. What kinds you, of religions pay their tithing? I'm not saying they don't pay their tithing. I'm saying, is it predicated on your worthiness to return to God again? Yes or no? I would say no. Well, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. And you're lying. This I is the not. thing. You are lying because you know differently. But what you're doing is you're, you're trying to portray for the listening audience, you think that you are so adept at conversation that you can come and sway people by your rhetoric on what is true and what is not. No, but bottom line, that. Nancy, have we have the quotes. We have the quotes. Your faith, your personal idea of what Mormonism is about is irrelevant. If I want to go to the temple, I have to pay my tithing. But if, I want to, if, I, if I'm a good person and I follow Christ, I know I will be with him in the next life. You'll be with Christ. He's in a lesser kingdom. He's in the middle kingdom. Why don't you say, Heavenly Father, 
You want to be with Heavenly Father. That's the doctrine. You cannot be with Him in the celestial kingdom without the temple, without the ordinances, without the works, Nancy. You are trying to deceive right now, or you are just uninformed. Well... You believe the Heavenly Father and Christ are all the same person. Okay, we're not talking about this, Nancy. Let's stick on you. You called the show and you said, I have been taught this and this and this about Jesus. Okay. He is grace. It's salvation. But your salvation, I have given you every opportunity to stand up, at least be a woman and stand, be a Mormon woman and stand up and say, yes, Sean. We believe we have to live righteous lives in order to be righteous before God. Yes, we believe we have to go to the temple and wear our garments day and night. Yes, we have to pay our tithing in order to appease God. Why don't you be a woman and stand up like that instead of call here and try this wishy-washy approach? Six friends in my family. Your family and your friends are irrelevant. Those are subjective experiences, Nancy. Give what's real. People that will have every opportunity (laughs) to be and live with Christ and Heavenly Father. There's no second chances. Oh. The Mormon church doesn't teach a second chance. Well, it sounds like you're really condemning and our church isn't. Oh, so we're going to go now that I'm not filled with your love. Look, I like facts. You're not giving facts. You're duplicitous. I am too. I'm giving you facts. No, you're just giving us your little perspective. Why don't you get a library card, read some books, now, and find out. Go to UTLM and find out what the doctrines are. I haven't are. been that way to you. You know, it doesn't matter how you've been. You've been deceptive to me. No, you've I been deceptive. Not. You have. You That's called not, here and you I said, know I, we know I have never I been taught anything. You, cannot call you said, I have never been taught Mormons anything. Are not Christians. You said, I have never Christians, been we taught. Believe in Christ, we worship him. Belief is not enough, dear. Him, Belief is be not saved. enough. Even the devils believe. Belief is not enough to believe in Jesus Christ. You got that so wrong. Okay? It's more than that. Now listen, you called here and you said, I have never been taught this. We believe in it's by grace. It's not true. It's just not true. I read a quote last week, Nancy, from Spencer W. Kimball that said, it is one of the damning heresies to believe that a person is saved by grace alone. It's a heresy, he said. I don't think it's grace alone. I think it's grace and the kind of life that you live. Okay, thank you. Finally, all of that to get you to say that. Guess what? Christians know that the kind of life they live are nothing but filthy rags to the Father. And it is by faith and faith alone, like Hebrews says, it is by faith only that you can please Him. Your works are nothing for Him. This is the God who has eternally existed in the heavens, created all things, and you think you're going to go up there and say, look at what I did for you. Now let me in. Give me a higher glory. It's not by your works. This is the argument. Testament, it talks about faith The what? It talks about faith and work. Yeah, it talks about faith being proven by the lives you live. But it has nothing to do with the lives you live qualifying you for salvation. You got that completely wrong. Which is, all, you're, just, you're just grabbing at straws from things. James 2, oh. you quote that. Get to the, the heart of the matter. I care about you. Listen, I care about you. I care about you, Nancy, and you're deluded. You can know him. He wants, he wants you to you. have a personal relationship you. with you. He, want, he died so that you could come directly with him. No prophets needed. No priesthood needed. No, he wants I, you directly. I know I can go directly to him. Okay, then you go directly to him and you ask him if you're deluded or if I am. And then you open up John and you start reading. And you see if, if you know, you've been reading and hearing all this from your leaders. Why don't you step outside of that and read the word and pray to him directly. Say, Sean McCraney, I hate that guy. 
but I don't know if I trust my prophet either. God, open my eyes to truth and see what he does. Take the Pepsi challenge. I do it. I pray to Christ every day. Well, that is against Mormon rules right there. So keep doing it, sister. You're coming along. We'll see ya. All right. Eddie in Arkansas, first time caller. Eddie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, is this Sean? This is. Hey, brother. Hey, let me turn this down. I was listening. All I got to say is wow, wow, and unbelievable on Nancy's part. <laughs> and, uh, but I know where she was, man. I've been just as blinded. I was a Mormon missionary married in the temple and uh, just been through uh through the years of it, coming into Christianity, had my name removed and felt that hassle with the church. But I got a few questions for you, Sean. Yes. Other than all that, hey, man, I love the glove. Talk about programming. Talk about programming. You're right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm a father of nine children because I believed I was bringing these Woo. little children, these little special spirits down. <laughs> You know, and I, I've come from the genealogy, uh, I mean, uh, generations of uh, doing genealogy. And it's come down to, uh, hey, man, uh, the simplicity. It is about the sweet simplicity of Jesus Christ. You said something earlier in your program, Sean. Uh, there were several things I've been writing down, but, you know, they call you anti-Mormon. How do you respond to that, brother, when that's all they'll deal with you is that you're anti. They tell everybody, run from him, he's anti. Yeah. When all I'm talking is scripture. Yep. It's a word they use, Eddie, that it, it's a shut-off word. It's a, it's a thought-killing word. And what it is is Mormons are talking, talking, and someone says anti. And there's a glaze over the eyes, the mind shuts down, and they walk. And it's a thing they have used from the onset. You see, you're anti if you bring them facts. And so that's what you experience. I would say I am not anti-Mormon. You are a Mormon. I am not anti-you. But I am anti-Mormonism. Your doctrines are false. Well, how does, how does Paul put it when he told Peter? When he said, he goes, why would I build up that which I'm trying to destroy? It ain't the Mormon people. It's a doctrine of man. Amen. You Amen, know, and it's just unbelievable that you, you're going to sit here and push tithing, that God wants your money. I know. You know, in the five steps, and Joseph Smith, and temple marriage, my wife and my relationship and our marriage, I tell you what, when we was Mormons, it always come down to that last 10% sometimes. <laughs> always does, doesn't it? You know, and but yet being as Christians, where now I'm giving freely of my heart, I'm doing what Jesus wants me to do. I can't wait to wake up and follow him and him alone, Nancy. Him and him alone. I could not pay for a better sequence of calls. Eddie, you, you are a refreshing air. You just bring it simply. With that accent, it just somehow makes us sit down and want biscuits and just praise the Lord. I, I am so glad you called. You shared your heart. You were brother, LDS. I'm coming to see you, and I'll call you before I come. Look forward to it, my brother. Godspeed, Sean. I love you. Love you, too. Thanks. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye.
What a great call. Applause for Eddie. Uh, two questions. First of all, Sean, will you please read 2 Corinthians 11.14? Uh, 2 Corinthians, I don't think it has, 11.14 uh, says, that's not what he wants. I think he wants 1 Corinthians 11.14. And 1 Corinthians 11.14 says, Doth not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a shame unto him? Well, I want you to know, I don't think this is long. I find this to be very respectable length. You know, the scripture also says all things are lawful. Not all things are expedient, as I'm poking my eye out with my glasses. Not all things are expedient, but all things are lawful. And let me tell you something, those of you... All, you know, you older generation get real upset with this whole deal. You start writing really ugly things. Let me just tell you something. There are people who look like me. They don't stand a snowball's chance in hell of thinking that they could ever merit the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so they're channel surfing, and they probably got a buzz on, and they probably just did something horrible, and they don't cut their hair, and they come onto this freak show, and they say, well, what's this guy saying? And we just start talking to him about the Lord. And I show him, you know, I, I, the outward appearance. Yes, men do look on the outward appearance. I understand. Let me tell you, I could get myself looking handsome, baby. I could, I could gel it up. I could cut it, shave, you know, just wear a suit. I could impress you with my looks. But that's not what our ministry is about. It's about reaching the people in this state who the LDS church, who carries the best of appearances, has kicked them to the curb. And so what we say is, listen, we want you to understand that we don't care how you look. We just want you to know that it's what your, how your heart looks when you die. What's your heart going to look like before the Lord? By the way, Paul said this. He also said it's a shame if a woman goes in church without covering her head. You know, do you make your women in your church cover their heads too? We're talking about culture here, my friend. So get off the high horse. Let's open up a little bit and let's move on forward. All right. Anonymous, Salt Lake City, Utah, on the air, first time caller. Anonymous. Oh, hi. Can you hear me okay? I can. How are you? Oh, good. I'm doing great. What can I call you so that, so that we have a name? Uh, no, I'd rather stay anonymous. Well, well can I just call um, you something? Can I call you Jane when I scream at you? <laughs> you don't need to. Okay, Jane. Um, let, let me just quickly explain something. Um, I Nancy was right, but so were you. Let me quickly explain. Okay. Um, women are not taught all the full doctrine. Oh. In the LDS church when they grow up oh. in all their church classes, don't forget that the men from adolescent on up oh. are being given the extra doctrine Ooh. online. Very, very good point. And uh, so don't forget that by the time a woman really does marry a man in the temple, she's oh. young, she's naive, she, she does not know what she's really committing herself to. And it's usually about 10 years after, on average, that suddenly Mormon women begin to think, wait a minute, what was I committing myself to? I did not know that I was committing myself to this or this or this. And remember, the men from adolescent on are taught differently and given much more different teaching in all of their priesthood classes. And so um, I believe that that's why Nancy really didn't know quite the fullness of what you were talking about. You are telling the truth, and you are right when you explain to the audience how the Mormons are taught and what their doctrines are. But I just wanted to quickly throw out 
that a lot of people don't realize the women are suppressed a little bit in the knowledge of what they're taught when they're raised at LES this, versus the men. This is the third. Yes, that was the only thing I was just trying to. Hey, hang on, Jane. Yes. This is the third most excellent call tonight. Uh, Jane, I stand corrected. I stand amazed that I am so blind and a jackass that I'm arguing with her, not realizing that my poor wife was so dutiful in the LDS church, she too knew nothing, and most women don't. But the high priesthood, the elders quorum, they start getting, the high priest, we talk about having wives, we talk about uh, the kingdoms, we talk about Christ not being in, all of that goes on in there. I didn't realize, Jane, I thank you so much for that correction. You're welcome. God bless you. God, and God bless you. All the women listening to you. Please, Holy Spirit, bless them all as they listen to you trying to be uh, a trumpet call for truth. God bless you. God bless you, Jane. Thanks so much. Bye -bye. Excellent call. All right, we have a question off air. Do LDS always do the double talk when you ask them a simple question? Just like a teenager caught you know, comes in from the dance and had had a beer, the double talk. You would like to make a call, please hang up and try again. The double, <laughs> the, we are professional here. The double talk comes. Another question, did anyone else witness Joseph Smith put his face in the hat? Yes, they did. In fact, you can even go to LDS Resources as recently in the, in the year 2000 on up, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there, where Russell Nelson admits that he looked into a hat and he gives a, a, a source of someone witnessing and saying it. Martin Harris testified to it. Uh, some of the other witnesses to the Golden Plates testified to it. Many people witnessed of him looking into the hat while translating the Book of Mormon even. Yes. Listen, join us next week. We're going to continue on building the, the pile of manure that Joseph Smith used for the Book of Mormon. Uh, remember, testimony, it is not about these things. This is a tool of, of horrible um, mind messing. Uh, throw this thing out. Teach your children, Jesus and Jesus alone, like Nancy said she believed, that he is the only way. And that with that faith, ask him to be born again. Ask him to have a new heart and he will come to you to show you truth. We will talk to you next week right here on Heart of the Matter. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage.